It is such a privilege. It is such a joy to be here with you this morning. Uh, I have been having just a wonderful season of getting to know Pastor Tim as we have prayed together and, uh, and fellowship together and ate together. I know I know a bunch of you. If you think you know me, raise your hand. Okay, see, look, this is family. I'm, I'm here with family. And that was, it, you feel the presence of God as, as we're worshiping. You know, worship team, thank you. That was amazing. I grew up Baptist as a Baptist missionary kid in Papua New Guinea for 15 years. And, uh, and now I'm senior pastor of a charismatic church. Don't tell them I'm still really Baptist. Because <laughs> um, uh, I love the word. I, I love the word of God. But I was having a little bit of a hard time here this morning because I was about to get Bapticostal during that worship. It was that good. It was, man, I was just, how loud can I shout hallelujah without scaring people around here, right? So... <laughs> I love what God is doing in the body of Christ, in our church, in your church. The Lord is refining and transforming his people in preparation for his return. Can I get an amen? Amen. I'm used to preaching to a charismatic crowd, and some of them are black, and so they're vocal, so I'm completely fine if you talk back to me. In fact, if you don't talk back to me, I just quit. It's kind of like the penny. you got to put coins in the slot, so please encourage you know, um, we'll save the rebuke and the argumentation for later. But uh, yeah, I, I, I see what God is doing in bringing his people back to the ancient paths. Scripture says, return to the ancient paths. The Lord says, he says, my word shall endure forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Some of the things that we're going to look at today may even be challenging for some of you, but I want to tell you something, that our mindsets on what we think is acceptable and what has become acceptable now that was not even acceptable 50 years ago, and things that were not acceptable 50 years ago that are acceptable now, it's just passing fancies of man. But I praise God for the word of God that we have an anchor to hold on to. We have a compass. We have a plumb line that we can look at and we can go, no, this is truth. And I can live my life according to this. No matter what man decides is politically correct or, or unpolitically correct, God's word is always spiritually correct. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's open in prayer. <coughs> I have a bit of a cough. Bear with me. And then we're going to jump into our scriptures. Father, I thank you for the, for the anointing on the preaching of your word. Lord, I recognize that this morning I'm just the pipe you're blowing through. I am the wind instrument that you are using, but the breath comes from you and the sound comes from you and the substance is of you, Lord. And I offer up my body as a living sacrifice. Let it be holy and acceptable unto you, which is just my reasonable service. I pray that you would anoint the word as it comes forth and that you would anoint the ears of the hearers and the hearts would be softened to receive the word that it would go in as a seed and take root and produce fruit unto everlasting life. And I thank you that we did not come today to leave the same. I thank you that there is expectation in your people to be changed, to be transformed into the image and the character of your son, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to go fairly quick because i got so much the Lord's put on my <coughs> heart to share with you. Probably won't get it all done, but that's okay. We'll get as far as we can. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, some translations will say complete, equipped for every good work. 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, Paul's writing to Timothy, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, <coughs> but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Wow. I'd like to draw our attention to, thank you, Kim. I'd like to draw our attention to one thing. This was written by Paul to Timothy in what we know as the New Testament era, but there was no yet New Testament. It was still, the, the, the canonization of the scripture didn't come till hundreds of years later. So Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And he was referring to what? The Old Testament. So just in case that there's, because I, I see this mindset creeping into the church, which says, well, you know, that's the Old Testament. Like, like God was bipolar or something and he switched and became a completely different person in the New Testament. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I can show you if we had time and we don't, but I can show you all the scriptures in the Old Testament which reference his graciousness, his loving kindness. He said to Moses when he pronounced his name, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, showing mercy to thousands, but by no means clearing the guilty for uh, visiting the iniquity of the children of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. God is both holy and God is both loving. God is both gracious and God is both exacting. And we see that in the sacrifice of Christ, what God's holiness required was that kind of sacrifice from his son. And scripture says to us, many people have the understanding, have the mindset, Jesus died so that I could live. That's not actually what we see from scripture. Listen, Jesus died so that I could die. Jesus rose again so that I could live. And there's a distinction. Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. If the sacrifice of Jesus was enough, and we don't have to follow in his footsteps, then why did Peter die as a martyr? Why did all of the apostles die as martyrs with the exception of John? And the only reason he didn't die as a martyr is because when they tried to boil him in oil, he sat there like he was having a hot tub. It's the truth. And they freaked out because people were getting saved because of this happening. And so they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos where he, where he wrote, received the revelation of the book of Revelation. And so God is calling us to follow after him. And all of scripture is breathed out by him and is profitable for us. All of scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, now that we have the full canon of scripture. So it says here <coughs> that the Bible is the ultimate and final authority on every matter on which it touches. Now it doesn't say that specifically, it just says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. So on any matter upon which the Bible touches, it's the ultimate authority. If it touches on science, it's the ultimate authority. If it touches on child rearing, I don't care what new mindsets about how to rear children have come in our 21st century pop culture world, the Bible is still the ultimate authority. 
Am I speaking to the right group of people? Nod at me occasionally if I'm speaking to the right group of people. That's good. Now, if the Bible doesn't speak specifically about something, then that's okay. If the Bible doesn't tell us how to do a 180 kickflip on a skateboard, well, that's okay then. You go somewhere else and find out how to do that. But if the Bible is speaking about anything that affects our lives and it's actually got something to say, then it is the final authority. And if we, if we come to Scripture with that mindset, we are going to be greatly equipped in rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly understanding <coughs> what God is saying. James chapter 3, verse 1, it won't be up there. I'm just going to read it. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not many. I, I read the Scripture and I tremble. I'm sure Pastor Tim And the rest of your leadership probably does as well. Not many of you should presume should become teachers because you will be held to a higher account. Why is that? Well, that's because as teachers, we're human too. And we have a desire to be liked. We do. (laughs) We want people to like us. We want to be esteemed. We want to be well thought of. And yet we see right from this first scripture that we're reading that it says that, the, that the, the, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof. Who likes reproof? Who likes, who likes rebuke? Who likes correction? None of us. And yet God says that it needs to be done. And it needs to be done by the man of God. Turn in your Bibles. Actually, let's go to... Um, I don't, sorry, Becky, I said I was going to go in order, and now I'm just changing it up. So if you have Ezekiel chapter 3 up there, it's in, uh, it's in the, the list. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 3, the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel, and he says, If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, thank you, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. I have had a tangible experience with the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Back in 2011, God came to our church and he visited us and he gave us a scripture which not many people would want to receive out of Revelation chapter 3, which I know your works that you are neither hot nor cold, but because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. Now that's New Testament. That's the letters to the seven churches. And the Lord came and gave that to us. And I'm a missionary kid. I've grown up in missions. I've been in ministry for 24 years. And I'm thinking, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me, God? And God said, yes, I'm speaking to you. And I said, how, how did we end up in this situation? I I don't even know what that means that you, that you're sick of me and you're ready to spew me out of your mouth. But I'm concerned, and so we began to fast and pray and seek the Lord. And he began to reveal to us, he said, the, the reason and the manner in which you ended up in the place that you are is because you lost the fear of the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But you know what? The fear of the Lord is not a popular topic. People don't want to hear about the fear of the Lord. We'd much rather talk about the grace and the love of God. 
I was listening to the message that Pastor Tim preached last week, an amazing message on knowing God. The whole point and import of sound preaching and teaching is to correctly reveal to the people and to help the people discern who God really is. Your number one core value is knowing God. We better make sure we're knowing the right God. Because we see throughout scripture that we have a tendency as human beings to make God after our image. There's another scripture here. It says, uh, in Psalm 50, it says, you thought, uh, it says, I kept silent, and you thought because I kept silent that I was altogether like you. And we have this mindset where we can go through scripture and we can just find all those warm, fuzzy verses, all those verses that make us feel so good. But Paul said, when he was writing to the churches, he said, I have not shunned to declare to you the full counsel of God. God is loving and God is holy. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 11.22. Romans 11.22. Here's a command in Scripture. It says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So the word note that we see there in Scripture is, uh, is, is rendered differently in different translations. In, um, in the New King James, it's, it's rendered consider. Other translations, it's rendered behold. What it actually means in the Greek, let me find, is the word ido. And it means this to see, to behold, to perceive with the eyes, to notice, discern, or discover, to turn the mind, the attention to, to pay attention, to observe, to inspect, to examine, to look at, to know, or to get knowledge of, to understand, finally, to perceive the force and meaning of something which has definite meaning. That's a loaded word, Ido. That's what it means. And we're commanded in Scripture, note then, consider, examine, inspect, understand the kindness and the severity of God. Well, how many here love studying on the kindness of the Lord? Come on, be honest. How many love researching the depths of the riches of the love of God? It feels so good to hear how loving he is, and yet Scripture commands us to study not just his kindness, but also his severity. Listen, there's nothing more severe in the expression of God than hell. Nothing is more severe than hell because it's eternal, it's unimaginable. And yet we have this revulsion to think about hell, to contemplate hell, to talk about hell. Preachers don't wanna preach on hell. Doesn't give very good offerings. And yet God commands us to consider it. And people say, well, yeah, but that's just fear mongering. That just brings fear into people's hearts. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to his own disciples, and he says in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him, exclamation point. These are the words of our Lord and Savior speaking to his beloved disciples in the New Testament. I don't know why I keep saying that. It's all his scripture, right? Jesus tells us that it is important to fear the Lord. 
Later on in scripture, we see that it is recorded that Jesus cried with vehement cries and tears unto him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, because of his reverence. Jesus himself feared the Lord. But this is not popular teaching, and yet it's sound teaching. It presents the truth. So why should we have sound teaching? It all depends on what your goal is. My goal is not earthly comfort. I have resigned myself to this place where I am living for eternity. I'm living for heaven. Pepsi will tell you live for now. That's really bad advice. Don't do that. Now live in the now, but live for later. Live for Jesus' return. Live for heaven. And in that context, then, I am bound and determined to get all of the instruction from the word of God. Right? All scriptures God breathed and is profitable for instruction, training, and righteousness. So I want you to imagine for a second that you're jogging down the street. And you're just, you know, it's kind of an in thing. Everybody's starting to jog these days. And you're just jogging down the street. And you think, I don't know why. Maybe, you know, get a bit more cardiovascular fitness. Maybe drop a couple pounds. And somebody rolls up beside you in a car. And they're just like slowly going along like this. And you're like, and then the guy leans out the window and goes, hey, come on, get your knees up higher. Come on, get your elbows in. You look like a duckling the way you're running. Come on, pick up the pace. You're never going to get anywhere like that. What would be our response? Hey, I'm trying to run here. What you, like, who invited your critique, right? But listen, if you're an Olympic athlete and your goal is Olympic gold, you will go out and find one of the, the, the most intense coaches who's going to analyze every single thing that you do, who's going to look at your running style and do computer simulations and get you up at five in the morning and, 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 and pour over every single thing you're putting in your mouth as, far, as regards to your diet. Why? Because you have a lofty goal. People, we have a lofty goal. We have the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ that we are seeking for. I'm not looking for people to tell me how wonderful I am. I have my wife for that. That's said very tongue-in-cheek because she's my best coach. Sometimes my biggest critic. <laughs> but she loves me. She's doing it because she loves me, right? All the guys say, yeah, that's right. I know. She loves me, right? <laughs> I'm not looking for people to come up and pat me on the back and tell me I'm doing everything good. You know why? Because I look at my life and I still see a massive distinction between the effect and the outreach of my life compared with that of Jesus. I haven't arrived yet. Paul, the apostle, said, I have not already attained, but I press forward toward the mark. I'm not perfect. In our prayer this morning, one of the leaders said, Lord, none of us think for a second coming in here that we're good. We all know that change needs to happen. I just know it needs to happen. Please don't tell me about it. Let's just keep that sort of out there in a nebulous sense. I know I need to change, but don't get specific because then I might get offended. Uh-oh, I'm stepping on toes here. I need correction. The Bible says the wise man receives reproof, but the mocker despises correction. So how we approach the word, both as, as people coming into the house of God and as a preacher, is very important I get into discussions with believers and non-believers and I'm not so concerned what they believe as why they believe it. So, <clears throat> situation. I was having a conversation, this was a number of years ago, <coughs> with a gentleman 
who is uh, over top of a youth ministry here in Abbotsford. Secular organization. Not a believer. Admitted homosexual. And we're sitting down, we're having a conversation, and uh, he's telling me, he, he lived down in the States for a number of years, and he was a former alcoholic. And he says he finally came to his senses as an alcoholic when he realized what addiction is. And he gave a very good definition of addiction. He said, addiction is when we seek to solve a certain problem with a solution that only temporarily works or only seems to work, but actually makes things worse. I thought, that's really good. We could apply that to a whole lot more than drugs and alcohol. We could apply that to, you know, lots of things that we do in our lives, like social media, overeating, um, just wasting our time. And then he said, so he he left alcoholism, (coughs) And he got involved in social work because that gives him a sense of purpose. And I began to share Christ with him. I began to share the truth. And he says, yeah, and he gave me the thing that Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? What's true for for you may not be true for me. What's true for me may not be true for you. He went down that path. And I said, "So, so what do you actually know that is true then? And he said, well, the only thing that I can say for absolute certain is that I cannot deny that I'm having this experience right now. That's it. That's the only thing I know. I cannot deny the evidence that I'm experiencing through my five sentences or five senses that I'm sitting here. And I thought, and you're, te- you're trying to mentor youth? You've got nothing to give them. And he says, yeah, but, but you're just going after what makes you feel good. And he looked at me with all seriousness, dead in the eye, and he said, I'll believe anything if it makes me feel good. Wow. See, back in the 70s, Anybody from the 70s? <laughs> Where, there was this whole thing that was going around, which was, hey, relax with the, the overt morality, bro. If it feels good, do it. And as Christians, we recognize how, 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 how flawed that is. No, no. Now in the new millennium, we say, if it feels good, believe it. And we can approach the word of God looking for that which makes us feel good, rather than looking to truly know him, not as we want him to be, but as he is. We must approach the word of God to discover him. And if some of it makes us uncomfortable, what was Pastor Tim speaking about last week when John the Beloved, John the Beloved, and of course, John was the one who wrote the book of John and called himself John the Beloved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John, you wrote it. (laughs) Of course, you're going to say that. No, he really was the beloved. We know it was inspired by God. And he was the one who put his head on Jesus's chest at the last supper. And then he has the visitation. Come up here, book of Revelation. Heard a voice speaking, turns around, sees one whose eyes are like fire, who is burning from the waist up and burning from the waist down. And John the beloved said, and I, John, fell like one dead. And then Jesus came and touched him and strengthened him. Don't be afraid. You know, well, how can I not be afraid? Because the power to not be in the afraid is in the word. The power to be whatever God has called you to be is in the word. When God says, be full of faith, don't go, but I'm not. Go, I receive faith. Remember when, when Gabriel came to, to, to Mary and she goes, I don't really understand how this is going to happen, but be it unto me according to your word. When we receive God's word without judging it, without sitting in judgment on him and trying to figure out if it makes sense to us, when we understand, one of my mentors, uh, Ron Gray, some of you may know him, he's a former leader of the Christian Heritage Party, and he said this, we must always take the fruit of reasoning to revelation for verification and not the other way around. Say, well, what does that mean? In other words, we must not take our thinking and bring the Bible to it to see if the Bible makes sense. We must take our thinking to the Bible for verification. 
Why? Because the word of God proceeds from the superior intellect. God is sovereign. His ways are higher than our ways. And so we end up with a conflict of interest. Everybody familiar with that term? Conflict of interest? It's a conflict of interest is a situation in which someone in a position of official capacity has a vested interest that is at odds with the task that they have been given to do. You take a teacher in a school or a principal who begins to have an, a, a romantic or a remote, a, emotional attachment to one of their students, and we say there's a conflict of interest here. Why? Because society expects the teacher to teach the student and to fairly assess the student's grades in the context of the whole class but if the teacher's beginning to have a relationship with the student, then they're not gonna, they're gonna pass them even if they're failing, and it's not fair. So if I was to come to you as the pastor of this church, and I'm not, Pastor Tim is, and he's an awesome pastor, and he would never do this, okay? But if I was, because I'm charismatic, and you know there's crazy charismatics, if I was to come to you and say, I've been in prayer, I've been seeking the Lord, and he's impressed upon me that you as a body must send me away for a three-month prayer retreat to Hawaii, in a particular five-star hotel. I really believe it's the Lord. You would begin to have serious concerns about my ability to hear God for the congregation and you'd probably begin a selection process yourself, not looking for a hotel, but for a new pastor, right? I hope you would. I hope you would. So how is it that it's so easy for us to see that conflict of interest in others and yet not, rec not recognize it in ourselves when we approach his word? Listen, I'm not looking into the word to find something to make me feel good. I'm reading the word to understand him. And there are passages, as we have read, consider, therefore, note, behold, take notice of the goodness and the severity of God. Jesus said, fear him who after he has killed is able to cast both soul and body into the fires of hell. Scriptures that say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we're talking about sound preaching and teaching. Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Let's look at what a little bit of sound preaching and teaching is. At one point, I had a cell phone. Yeah, well, I just want to know the time. Oh, there it is up there. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Titus chapter 2 and verse 1 says, But as for you, teach, Paul is again writing to Titus, <clears throat> and he says, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men, and, and he proceeds to give some sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. <coughs> they are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That is not politically correct, <laughs> is it? There's so much in there that we would read. And listen, if as I'm reading this scripture, in any of us, we hear a certain part of it and we go, I don't really like that. Oh, oh don't say that. 
Or that, I, I, I'm not sure that God really meant that. That's an indication of how much the culture and the expectations of the culture and our genuine desire as human beings to be loving and to be loved and to be accepted and to be accepting has influenced us to the point that we begin to become prejudiced against the word of God. And we start, trying find, we start trying to find ways to make it say something other than what it says. And when I, when I read the word of God and I begin to have these, oh, I don't like that, my first response must not be to try and change what it says and make it mean something else, but must be to humble myself and say, God, that is hard. <laughs> and I don't even necessarily completely understand but be it unto me according to your word. I do not presume for one second to judge you. What did Satan say to Eve in the garden? Did God really say? Are you sure that's what he really said? I mean, how can, be, how can it possibly be accurate? You know, it's been translated so many times. Right? That's the first indication that the, that the enemy is speaking into our minds is that he begins to cause us to question the word. And we go, I know that they believed that back then, but that was for then. And God says, my word endures forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. We must come to the word of God. <laughs> A friend of mine says, I don't read the Bible. The Bible reads me. <laughs> When I open up the word to have my devotion, the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shines into my life and reveals any and every area where there needs to be adjustment. I come to church, whether I'm speaking or, or, or my other pastors are speaking or whether it's a child sharing, I come with an expectation and an understanding that the believers have assembled together and the spirit of the living God is in the room to comfort, correct, convict. So whether it's me speaking, Pastor Tim speaking, or any, anyone else speaking, if you're just listening to a man, if you're not recognizing that God has raised up a voice to speak to us by his spirit, then this is just a club. And whoever's speaking is just the best speaking guy in the room, rather than the person who's standing up there as a representative of God, called by God to rightly divide the word of truth for the body, that they might be edified and, and built up in their faith. We must come to the word saying, Lord, like David, search me, O God. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Do you know that God equates anxiety with wickedness? Why? Because it questions his goodness and it brings unbelief. I can't be anxious. He's the one who breathed the stars into existence. One of those stars, Canis Majoris, is seven quintillion times the size of earth. If earth was a golf ball, you might have seen the thing with Lou Giglio. That's enough golf balls to cover the state of Texas 22 inches deep. And that's one star, and he breathed it out. Listen, when we step across the line into eternity and we are confronted with the living God, there's not one of us who's going to be like, hey, how you doing? He's going to overwhelm our senses, and I know this because I see it from Scripture. I'm going to be utterly undone in his presence. And it's terrifyingly wonderful. And the fear of the Lord doesn't make me run from him. It makes me run to him. It makes me run into his heart that I might know him. Oh God, I can't trust myself. Disney tells you follow your heart. That's the worst advice in the world. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? I don't follow my heart. I follow the word of God. I got anybody in here that agrees. We follow the word of God. His word is true. His word is our anchor. It's the light. It's the standard. Our understandings of, of grace, and I'm going to wrap up here, so if we maybe have the worship team go ahead and come up. 
<clears throat> in Hebrews 12, 28, our understandings of the grace of God. Nowadays, you'll see that a great apostasy has begun. There's, there is a falling away that is, that is happening. People, people, as Jude says, people are using the grace of God as license to sin. I believe it was Bill Johnson who said this, grace does not excuse sin, it empowers righteousness. The grace of God enables me to be what I could never be through the arm of the flesh. And I have been set free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. You know, Christ came to set us free. Free to what? Free to obey. He did not come to set us free to do our own thing. He came, that's how we got in this place in the first place, right? Doing our own thing, Adam and Eve. He came to set us free to obey, to do those things that we could not do before. We sing the song, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the other song, I am free to run, I am free to dance, and that's all well and good. And, and I know, I even see in this church you guys are dancing. But you know, he set us free to do more than run and dance. How about if we added some lyrics there? I am free to stop looking at porn. I am free to stop gossiping. I am free to start trusting. I am free to forgive the person who's hurt me. I am free to pay my taxes. I am free to drive the speed limit. Oh, somebody's feeling some pain right there. <laughs> Come on, submit to the governing authorities. All authority comes from God and the authorities which exist are appointed by God. And the police say, and, and, and the road signs say, this is the speed limit. And we, and we drive faster than the speed limit and you know we know what we're doing is wrong because as soon as we see a policeman, we step on the brake. And the Lord spoke to me back in 2011 when he visited us and he said, why do you fear the policeman and don't fear me? What can the policeman do? He can give you a ticket. I can throw you in hell. And I'm watching you all the time. It took me about six months to break my horrible habit of speeding. But now I just drive the speed limit without even thinking about it because God has transformed me. He's, he's easy to please, but he's impossible to satisfy. It's like a father whose child first takes the step and starts walking. And when that child falls, the dad's not like, oh, dumb thing's defective. Let's get a new one. No. <laughs> no, he's so happy the child took a step. He says, no, come on, get up, come on. We can do more. But if at 35, the child goes step, bam, step, bam, the father's not satisfied. He's easy to please, little steps of obedience towards him, but we must not become complacent. This final scripture in Hebrews 12, 28. <clears throat> Therefore, I'm gonna read it in the ESV and then I can't help myself, Pastor Tim, I have to read it in the New King James. <laughs> Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving <clears throat> a kingdom which cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Do we understand that worship to the Lord without reverence and awe is not acceptable worship? Now the New King James says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Oh, finally, Pastor Mike, when were you gonna start talking about grace? Great, what does this grace help us do? By which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The grace of God is the energy and the power of God that enables us to worship him as he wants to be worshiped, as he is worthy of being worshiped. Let's stand to our feet and let's just take a few minutes as we close the service here. Let's take a few minutes to rededicate our hearts to truly know the truth, not to go searching scripture to find out what will make us feel good. There's a conflict of interest in that. But let us renew our passion and our dedication to know him as he is 
to tremble before him. It's a beautiful song by Nicole Nordeman years ago. Let me not forget to tremble. He's holy. He's awesome. He's loving. He's wonderful. He's terrifying. That's the God we worship. Hallelujah. 